There are dozens of genre film festivals around the world, and we either can't afford or don't have the time to go to any of them. We're guessing a lot of you are in the same boat. On Cinema Smorgasbord Presents Cinema Fantastica, we pick one of these festivals, a year in which it ran, and choose two films that played at that festival to battle against each other. On this episode, we're traveling to the 2009 edition of the London Fright Fest Film Festival in London, England, where we'll be checking out Dario Argento's Giallo and the Moe Brothers' Macabre. Welcome to Cinema Fantastica, a trip through time and space to the genre film festivals around the globe. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is the yellow bastard Liam O'Donnell. Today, Liam, we are enemies, as we're tasked with pitting two genre film classics against one another in a battle to see who reigns supreme. How you doing, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. You know, uh, to to pull the curtain back a teeny bit, please. Uh, we we don't have an agreement on this show as to whether we will be picking movies that we are familiar with or we are unfamiliar with. And in the past, I will be honest, I have stacked the deck that we've looked mm-hmm. at a lineup. I've seen a movie I knew was good, and I chose that movie because I said I wanted to win against Mr. Uh, Douglas Tillet. Yeah, that's and, me. And yet today, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about two movies both of which I had never even thought about watching previously. Right. Uh, in fact, the movie that I chose, I chose because I had not seen it. In fact, I haven't seen any of this director's later work at all uh, because I've been told <laughs> that it's bad and I should avoid it. Uh, but this movie was name-checked in a documentary, and they even used a clip from it in that documentary, and that got me interested in the movie. The documentary is uh, All the Colors of Giallo, mm-hmm. uh, and they discuss it as a meta-commentary by Argento on his work in the genre that we have come to call Giallo. And I got to say, uh, I regret this new policy, and I will be going back to picking movies that I know. <laughs> It, uh, I mean, one of the fun things about this is being able to talk about movies we wouldn't normally talk about. Sure. So yeah. I'm, sure. I usually, uh, Cinema Fantastica, I'm looking for a movie that either I have heard of and haven't seen, or I haven't heard of and are curious about. So maybe I'm putting myself at a bit of a disadvantage, but I usually think that's more fun that way. I'm not out there picking, like, why don't you play in hell, uh, a movie that. <laughs> That I love that somehow you picked on the last episode, um, though though you know that that method that I just mentioned can kind of work against us. Which hey, we'll see. Maybe it worked against us on this episode. I am glad that we're talking about both of these movies because I did want to see both of them, uh, even if well, <laughs> we'll find out what we think about <laughs> the the maestros film from two thousand nine in just a few minutes. Um, but Liam. What do you know about Fright Fest, this festival that we're going to be traveling to today? Well, 
I know it's in London. I know that it is a primarily a horror fest, though. Like a lot of horror festivals, they kind of go outside the genre a little bit. And I know that a friend of the show, Josh Goldblum, has been a number of times either to look for films for the festivals that he's run or to promote a movie that he's worked on. So having heard it name-checked by him and, you know, uh, for people who haven't been, when you go to genre festivals, sometimes you meet filmmakers. And so uh, I haven't met a lot, but the ones I've met have talked about going to and having a great time at Fright Fest. So I've always kind of um, admired it from afar, let's say. Uh, I'll be honest, I never uh, really thought I would be going to London for a horror film fest anyway, but it is one (laughs) of the fests that I kind of keep an eye on, partly because um, if something comes out of there and people really love it, then maybe that's something that will play a fest closer to me or it's something I should be looking for on streaming or something like that. So it, it, it's a fest I've paid attention to, but I, I wouldn't say I'm knowledgeable about it. Sure. One of the things I love about this festival in particular is that it seems to have a really uh, clear focus on international horror. I guess yes. you almost have to when you're when you're doing a festival that that's so focused on one genre. But uh, that that's I mean we're talking about two movies today, one from Italy uh, with <laughs> with some American actors, let's say, and uh, one from Indonesia. And I think that that's a lot of fun. I think it's well known as a very well programmed festival. Um, that one maybe that doesn't lean as heavily on you know having to do premieres or you know uk premieres and things like that thing where you can just be a little more creative about uh putting things that people will actually want to see together instead of just sure. trying to yeah. debut the latest thing um fright fest itself it was conceived by paul mcavoy ian rattery and alan jones and staged its first event in the year 2000 at the prince charles cinema off london's leicester square uh it's august bank holiday weekend date has remained a fixture ever since greg day their long-serving pr man joined the company as a co-director in 2000 Six, uh, it's increased in size massively since its debut in 2000. In 2009, the festival that we're talking about here, the festival's 10th anniversary, it was marked by Fright Fest's biggest leap so far. Moving a couple hundred yards across Leicester Square, the festival upgraded to the UK's largest traditional cinema screen at the Empire Cinema. The move heralded the most ambitious lineup of new genre movies presented to date. Additional screens soon followed, plus the addition of the popular Discovery Strand. So at the time that we are now visiting this festival, Liam, in 2009. It's established, it's been around for 10 years, it's moved to this larger cinema, it's having a bigger kind of focus on uh, on worldwide uh, genre movies, and we actually have the entire lineup. So the 2009 festival ran from August 29th to August 31st, 2009, and the films, I'm not gonna go through every film that, that uh, played at the festival. There's some that I'm very, familiar with like I Saw the Dead and The Horde and uh, Trick or Treat was there Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl uh, the It's Alive remake Pontypool my my beloved Canadian Pontypool was on there but what the question I have for you Liam is if you were going your usual way of choosing a film for Cinema Fantastica and choosing a one that you already know is good is there anything on this list that you think would be kind of like the killer app the one that there's no way I could kind of counter program against uh, it tie between Pontypool and Trick or Treat. Honestly, yeah. I mean, from uh, from my taste, I you know, I don't know for sure that they would win against you, but if if it's something that I think is really good, those are two that I have nothing but positive memories about. I also have a soft spot for Dead Snow, 
but mm. I know that not everybody loves that movie. Um, and maybe I wouldn't on rewatch. You know, I've rewatched Pontypool recently. I've rewatched Trick or Treat recently. Uh, I haven't seen Dead Snow since it came out, but part of the appeal of doing 2009 for me was uh, that 2009 was sort of one of the first years I was cognizant of the variety of uh independent horror happening at festivals sort of sure. around the world like mm-hmm. i was paying more attention and so that's how i found dead snow is i heard that it was playing these fests i saw a trailer and then lo and behold it was available from netflix via disc by the way that was back when i was still getting discs <laughs> from netflix uh and i i got that disc immediately and then very excitedly got dead snow too when that came out so um but for me, the ones that I know, at least I've watched them recently enough that I know they're pretty good, would be Pontypool and uh, and uh, Trick or Treat. And my choice would actually likely not be either of those, though it would be hard for me to resist Pontypool. I probably would pick Ty West's The House of the Devil. Oh, which... I forgot that was on here. Yes, you're right. The House of the Devil is the best movie on the on the. <laughs> It well, you've already didn't... lost, even before you began. I know. Well, I, I didn't see. It's not playing till. Mo- it didn't play till Monday the 31st. So yeah. I was scrolling through the list as we we're talking, and I just saw it when you said it. I'm like, oh, no, that's the best movie on the fest. I mean, I'm sure some of these other movies are very good. Like, I don't, you know, part of the point of the show is I don't think just because I haven't heard about a movie in a while, it's bad. Sure. But House of the Devil is just a classic. I don't, you know, I know not everyone loves Ty West, but for me, that is a stellar film. It's uh yeah, I really love it. I know a lot of people also don't necessarily care for the pacing, but I really love that as well. So Same. yeah, I'm not it, but so but this is not we're not here to talk about House of the Devil or Ty West. Uh Liam, we're here to talk about two movies that we're pitting against one another. The film that I have chose is the Mo Brothers Macabre, which played on Friday the twenty eighth of August at midnight at Fright Fest. While you have decided to uh, to talk about Dario Argento's Giallo, which uh, played on Saturday the twenty ninth of August at seven o'clock p.m., a showcase uh, slot for the maestro himself <laughs> playing before Trick or Treat. That must have been an interesting double feature for somebody. Um, <laughs> uh, Liam, why did you pick? Dario Argento's Giallo. Is it just because you saw it in that documentary? 100%. And, and you know, mm. I look, um, eventually I'm going to have to stop my boycott of later Argento just for the sake of feeling like, you know, I know his work. Yeah, I've already done this with other directors, right? Like I, I sat through Ghost of Mars. You know what I'm saying? Or I've done uh, a few – well, I don't know how much of the later Craven I did other than the Scream movies, you know. Uh, in fact, I think with Craven, it, it's more the early stuff that sometimes I don't like. <laughs> um, Red Eye is good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually haven't seen it, so maybe I'll, I need to watch that. <laughs> but um, uh, with Argento, he, he's too important to me within a chunk of his work for me to just be like, well, I hear the later stuff is bad, so I won't give it a chance. That, that's not fair, you know? The, the strange thing about Argento's later career is that one of the things that kind of typifies his, let's say, golden era, as particularly later into it, kind of post-Deep Red or even like post-Asperia, is that his movies were not so focused on making a lot of sense. So you could go into these wild visual places. And if you're a great visual director... You think that that's something that you could just keep being, right? Because at least you would have wild visuals. The thing is, a lot of these movies are very bland looking. And that, to me, is the strangest thing about the last. And when I say, like, recent Argento, I'm talking about, like, 20-plus years of films. 
and also, there's a lot of Argento apologists out there, and maybe that's really unfair. I shouldn't say that, but there are people who who do like a lot of these later films and are focused on praising the elements that you know. They'll say something like, "You can't compare it to Suspiria. You can't compare it to The Bird with the Crystal Plumage." But it still has something to recommend it. Even those people were not were nowhere to be found when Giallo came out, and certainly were nowhere when Dracula 3D came out. When Giallo came out, even though I was paying attention to what was happening in horror, I wasn't as invented, invested in Argento. Like I was honestly, what what was this then? Twelve years ago, right? Did I just do that sure. math right? Yeah, twelve yeah. twelve years ago, I was not an Argento fan per se. I liked Deep Red. I liked. Uh, Suspiria and Inferno and then I was like meh I just didn't you know I wasn't against his other stuff I just wasn't spending time and honestly what caused me to go back and systematically rewatch is uh, Exhumed Films they did a triple feature at Filamoca all on 16mm all three of the Animal Trilogy Giallos you know and watching all three of those I was like I love all, th- even though they're different and they don't. What all- What are those movies? Leo? Oh, those would be Bird with Crystal Plumage, mm-hmm. uh, Cat and Nine Tails, and, and uh, Four Flies on Gray Four Velvet. Flies on Gray Velvet. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I was like, how many flies on Gray Velvet? Hold on, is it three or four? <laughs> uh, and so they did all three of those, and I loved it. And you know, it, it's important to remember too. At that time, I only had a small experience with Gialli in general. Right, like I knew a couple, but to me they were just proto slashers, which is like just not true. Like if 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 someone tells you like, oh, Jolly, that's just what what happened before the slasher. Like that's not real. It's true that they influenced slashers, but they're more than that. And I just didn't know that at the time. I'd only seen a few, and it's really since. That screening was pretty close to the release of Giallo, actually. It was like 2011. So, <laughs> right, right, you know, right. but since 2011, I've that's a genre I've been trying to explore. I'm still not an expert. You know, there are people who do podcasts just about Giallo. So I, I don't want to lift myself up to them. But I've seen a lot since then. And that was partly because of that event, because of what Exhumed exposed me to in this screening. I was like, okay, I need more Argento and I need more of this genre, knowing full well that later Argento isn't really. Gialli, really, you know, except for uh, 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 Mother of Tears. Well, Mother of Tears actually isn't. I was going to say uh, uh, Tenebrae. Tenebrae. Well, I mean, now we're, later, you're really stretching the the definition of later at that point. I just mean post these three. Like it, sometimes people are like, "Oh, he had that Gialli period, and then he moved on to horror." And I'm like, "Oh, I see." No, what he you're came saying. back to Gialli. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. like he just did those three movies and then was like, "All right, I'm done with this genre." You know what I mean? Like you know, Deep Deep Red definitely has more uh, in it than I think horror fans who don't love other Gialli would like Deep Red. Like I think Deep Red is sort of like a yeah. bridge. Yeah, but yeah. but Tenebrae is Gialli, even though it's got all kinds of modern takes on it and new things in it it's still jolly it just did in my opinion i'll say i'm not again i'm not an expert but Uh, also i mean it's important to note for those who might not be very familiar with the genre that the definition of what is and isn't a a jolly is a little bit uh difficult to define and 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 argento was one of the people who made that more and more difficult i mean there are some people who classify suspiria as a giallo and I don't see it. No, but that yeah, no, do. thank you. Well, yeah. but that's just, but this is the other thing, right? We're this is on one hand, it doesn't matter. Like we shouldn't all of be course. having our nose up in the air, guarding the boundaries of genre. But it is true that like 
because genre doesn't have boundaries, it's all based on feeling and opinion in my mind. Like it's in its aesthetic choice. And so therefore I kind of get why people do get defensive about their aesthetic choices. You know what I mean? Like it, it, because there isn't a hard line, in other words, because it's not a fact, you know, it's it's a feeling. That's why people get argumentative because they're yeah. arguing for their feeling. If it was a fact, this is the thing with the modern world, right? We're all arguing about facts. That shouldn't be fucking arguments. It's just a, a fact is a fucking fact. But like something like this, it doesn't matter. The film is good or it's bad. But I get why people get defensive because they're like, I don't know, guys. I really think this feels like a Gialli. But what, you know, there are no genre. I mean, this you get me with this all the time because you're always calling things punk to make me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, or like, you know, anyone, you know, whether that's a music genre or film genre, there's always things bending the edges. And, you know, we're dealing with this today with this idea of elevated horror. It's like, this horror movie seems well done. Therefore, it must not be horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and, and again, we it's, it's hard to define Giallo as a genre. It certainly isn't just all... Uh, black gloves and straight razors and no. uh, but I mean it to me my favorite giallo is Lucio Fulci's Don't Torture a Duckling a movie I have I really really love but also it doesn't fit comfortably into a lot of the genre trappings which sure. I like but I mean to me these are generally like lurid thrillers that tend I mean, to have a highly stylized visual element to them and that's about as far as I can go yeah. as a definition because yeah. it has such variety within the genre itself. Well a lot of people consider all the colors of the dark a classic and it has all the marks of other kinds of movies. You know what I mean like yeah. like people are always like oh that's a that's a real classic jolly. I'm like yeah it's also like a cult movie and a supernatural thing and like it's it's it, it, I don't think I, I don't think genre was invented so that we could draw lines and say, okay, this is in and this is out. It just is a way to describe something that makes it easier to describe because, you know, aesthetics are not obvious and we struggle to help people understand, like, I saw a thing or I heard a thing. Okay, tell me about it. Uh, I don't know. There were black gloves. A lady was dealing with her hysterical psycho issues out loud. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. you know, it's also like, it's particularly hard when we're talking about genres that were popular popularized in Italy because right. they're based on imitation as opposed to just to, to just the creation of something that was pop. It's not like a superhero movie, right? Where there's all these adaptations that occur sure, at the same time. Yeah. Or or westerns. I mean, all of them come from some some capacity of a huge success spurs more of. But in the case of the Jolly of the 1970s that came out after, well, you could say going back to, uh, to Mario Bava, but specifically after The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, these are all movies that are in some ways trying to imitate that movie. And right. be and then those imitations start to get weird and they start to become their own things. And, uh, and again, imitation, I don't think is, I'm not using that as a kind of a negative term in this case. It's just that the whole Italian film industry was built on trends. And so there right. was a trend of these lurid thrillers that were occurring at the same time that were very visually stylish. So everyone was putting, you know, giving their go at it, just like they did with Westerns, just like they did with the Sword and Sandal Peplums, just like they did with so many others, like the James Bond ripoffs. And that's that's cool. That's fun. But that makes it all the more difficult to define it. It's like this was a period when people were making movies like this. That's what Giallo is. So we're talking about. The guy who helped or not originate necessarily. I still think Baba is the guy who really did that. But we're a guy who really popularized the genre, sure. making a movie called Giallo with a Academy Award winning actor leading it. This must be the ultimate of that genre. Oh God. 
Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. I want to talk about just for a second that I picked Macabre from 2009. Sure. Because I'm a big fan of uh, Timo Cianto, the, the co-director of the film. Uh, particularly, I love The Night Comes For Us, his action movie, his incredibly violent action movie from a couple of years back. But I also loved his participation in the VHS franchise. I guess he's coming back for the new one that's uh, coming out fairly soon. As well as uh, his action movies, Headshot and Killers. I shouldn't say he. He's part of the Mo Brothers with Kimo Stambol as well. But Timo is someone that I'm particularly interested in, specifically because of The Night Comes For Us. And I'm like, well, let's go back a little bit. Let's see where, where they come from, where he comes from. I've heard good things about Macabre. Uh, I think it was on Shudder for a while. I don't know if it still is, but uh, it got a little heat and it helped kind of establish him as a horror name, uh, even though it wasn't a huge financial success. So I wanted to check out a movie that I'd heard of from a director I really like. We're going to talk about Macabre a little bit later, Liam, but right now we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about your choice, 2009's Giallo. Why did you take my sister? This is very unpleasant business. <laughs> I mean, the ones with the criminal records, okay? Not every cab driver. That's the least. 1,257 names. Makes you want to walk, hmm? I'll get them. Why don't you tell me what's going on here? They're talking about it. She's still alive. I know. He was going to tell me where she is. Linda, get down! Out the way! No! No! In Italy... A woman fears her sister may have been kidnapped. Inspector Enzo Avolfi fears it's worse. They team <laughs> up to rescue her from a sadistic killer known only as Yellow. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it is 2009's Giallo, directed by Dario Argento, as we've discussed. Uh <laughs> I just want to point out, Doug has created a list of, of movies for which you might know Dario Argento, and this list is fucked up, uh, starting with Dracula 3D and going into uh, The Card Player, Sleepless, other things. Uh, written by Jim Agnew, uh, who's known for 2011's Game of Death, uh, in conjunction with Sean Keller. Uh, they also co-wrote uh, 2014's Rage. And then Dario Argento's listed as a writer. I, I think he contributed to it. But interestingly, this is Dario Argento's first theatrical directorial feature which isn't based on an original script for himself it was written for him by them and he had some contribution to it but this isn't coming from him it's not his idea which would be an easy way to write off this movie but apparently there's other th movies he's done that he wrote that are also bad um, <laughs> starring Adrian Brody as Inspector Enzo Volfi, Emmanuel Sr. as Linda, uh, Elsa Pataki as Celine, uh, Robert Miano as Inspector Mori. That's the guy who forgives him when he murders someone as a child, right? Is that, is that correct? Okay. That's my understanding, Liam. <laughs> uh, Sylvia Spross, Giuseppe Lo Console, other people who I don't know. Okay, cool. Um, Bunch of Italians is what you should say because this lot is a of film. Well, and also some Japanese folks because there's tourists that yellow yeah. takes as well um before we get into uh all the various performances and what we think of them i just want to get a general idea we kind of gave we kind of showed our cards a little bit here, <laughs> but we? i just want more specifics from you as to how did you feel about 2009's uh directed by the maestro giallo i want to start by saying that i did not go into this film with a negative Sure, uh, feeling yeah, towards. Of course, it. Yeah, I yeah. I had not heard that much in regards to response to it. Uh, 
simply because when it came out, there was a lot of controversy around it. I don't know if you remember this. It had to do with the fact that Adrian Brody wasn't paid his entire acting fee, and he sued the production, and that that made it uh, that that kind of delayed the release. It was a whole big mess that later got kind of ironed out. And Adrian Brody was like, "Yeah, I was proud of this movie, but I think Dario Argento didn't feel very good about it. I think it was taken away and maybe re-edited at one point." There's just a lot that the that made this movie kind of disappear to the point where we had trouble actually tracking it down. It's not streaming anywhere at the moment. It's just not an easy movie to necessarily directly find. Um, and so, so again, I went into it with the idea, you know, maybe all I want out of this is what the title promises, which is lurid content and some stylish visuals. And this movie doesn't even have that. It's so fucking bad. It is unbelievably terrible. Uh, and it is hard to, it's hard to square the movie that you're watching, which feels like like a direct-to-DVD thriller made for like you know a million dollars, someone's first movie that that somehow managed to get an Academy Award-winning actor. Maybe he had some sort of friendship with the guy's father or something like that. I mean, there's just no way to square that the Dario Argento, even the Dario Argento who made Mother of Tears which is a movie I don't like at all, even though I know it has its defenders. Even that Dario Argento, it's hard to believe that person made this. It's hard to believe that this movie, which is designed from the ground up as a tribute to a genre, is like one of the worst examples of that genre. Uh, and and I kind of like the idea that they didn't just go... It This isn't like uh, Astron 6 is the editor, which is like a tribute, kind of like a comedic tribute to Gialli. It's... This isn't a movie that just takes every cliche about it and sticks them all into one movie. If anything, it tries to avoid those cliches, which makes you wonder all the more why they decided to call it Giallo in the first place. So as Liam said at the beginning, the reason this movie is called that is that the fucking killer in it has yellow (laughs) skin because he has jaundice. So so his liver is all messed up, so his his skin has turned yellow, so he is literally a yellow killer. I have to say, Liam, until you started to talk to me about it, I have not watched that documentary on on uh, Giallo films, so I didn't realize that this is interpreted as sort of a meta-commentary on Argento. Boy, that would be interesting if it was written by him. Uh-huh. But the idea that he is making a film that someone else has designed as a commentary on a genre, and then it does not work as a entry in that genre, just makes it kind of like a double failure. And now we're not even talking about the fact that the acting is unbelievably terrible, not helped by the fact that this is a entirely dubbed movie, which, by the way, we're pretty much used to if you're used to watching Giallo from the 70s, right? I mean, they're all like that, but it does not help the performances in this. And the thing is, that's fine, usually, because the performances are not that important in those movies. Here, they like the movie is all about the interplay between Enzo and Linda, and how like we're supposed to focus and it's feature these these you know, uh, long talking segments and we're supposed to be in- entranced and intrigued by it and they're so goddamn boring and Adrian Brody's character is idiotic. The fact that he's a New York cop who just works in Italy in a basement for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> the fact that he he saw his mother killed as a child and then murdered while still a child his mom's murderer while a cop watched him like he saw him do it and instead of arresting the kid or maybe getting him therapy or something like that he just fucking cleaned up the crime scene and let and basically i guess adopted him i don't even really know what we're supposed to think happened for him between the year of his age of 12 and his uh, you know eventual getting into the police academy did he did he do that in the states 
there's so much about this movie I hate. And then, and this is a spoiler, at least it was for me, the discovery that Adrian Brody also plays the villain in this, not in some sort of of M. Night Shyamalan, you know, say, like he's like he's the policeman and the villain, nothing like that. He just is caked in this Dick Tracy makeup that he's he's got this weird, ridiculous face, this muttering, awful character as this uh, yellow villain in it. And it's it all it means is that they can never directly interact in the movie because they have they don't have the the budget to do any sort of special effect or something like that. A fucking travesty of a goddamn movie, an embarrassment to Argento. And I'm not one of those people. I'm like, yeah, keep making movies. You you you've earned it. You have a lot of classics in your repertoire. But the reason I listed Liam. Uh, in terms of his his filmography, Dracula 3D, Sleepless, The Card Player, Do You Like Hitchcock? He's got nothing left. I would love it. I would love that somehow he just makes one more great movie. But we have literally been saying that since 1995. It's just not going to happen at this point. I, I'm glad that he is apparently uh, doing some acting now. Uh, I'm very curious about uh, what that's going to do. But boy, I have to say I did not have a good time with Giallo at all. Doug, could you stop soft shoeing and tell us how you really feel? <laughs> I don't I, understand I do like why it's so you, bad. I do like in your rant you covered most of my notes. Like I have like a <laughs> list of talking points, and Doug just covered half of them because he's just like could not hold back with his disdain for this movie. I, I here's the thing, like. I, I don't have a relationship with Later Argento, as we've said, so I, I can't go on like a career-wide rant. But if this is at all emblematic of his later work, then I don't know that I even want to give it a chance because this is a very bad movie, Doug. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, so, so You've seen some of these later films. Mm-hmm. Is this worse than his other films or is is everything like this? Dracula 3D is bad in a very different way. Okay. In that it's at least at least has more interesting visuals, even if those visuals are absolutely horrible. Um, and Sleepless, I think, is better than this by a pretty substantial amount. That that's a movie that has its defenders as well. I of his later films, and I've also seen Mother of Tears, um, which which is better than this, though. I again, I don't like it. This is probably the worst. Actually, I would say it's it's Dracula 3D is still kind of silly and fun because it's so ridiculous. This movie is just plain. Hard to watch. It is. It is very difficult to watch, uh, and it's not just a skill thing, right? There, the whole thing is corrupted all the way down, right? So, like, the idea is bad, the script is bad, the execution of the script is bad. Like, it's like there are negative elements all over the place. One of the things that you mentioned that I want to circle back to is what is what could possibly be the defense of Adrian Brody? as a New York cop working in Italy. And then I want to connect that to him playing the villain who is Italian, who doesn't speak Italian in the film because Adrian Brody doesn't speak Italian. They kind of try to explain it in the movie, right? Where it's just that that after his mother's death, he sent... To, to live with family in Italy. But if that was the case, and he was in his formative years, he's been living in Italy the whole time, then you think that, A, he would he would speak Italian very fluently. And maybe he does. He does speak it briefly in the film. But also, he would be entrenched with the regular police force. He wouldn't be the guy who gets New York City police... Sorry, New York City pizza delivered to him because he's such a New York guy 
that he can't like that that he doesn't we never see him interact with other cops for the most part right all we see is this one cop who's sort of taking him under his wing it's impossible to explain how a guy who like they let him just have basically an entire floor of the police station to just do whatever he wants to do has seemingly no oversight at all and is it, it i just i don't get it 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 if anything it would be a more interesting film just to try to explain away that transition from being a new york city guy into a police force that doesn't seem to even like him or want him to be there yeah i oh man it it's it's hard to harp on it because it is a quirky like the, the, one of the things about this film is that there are so many boring decisions. There are so many places where something could be interesting and then they then the decision was made not to be interesting that I almost don't want to criticize some of the parts that are weird because at least it's interesting. Well, but I mean, they, the, 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 fact is, the fact is there's a, clear, there's a real explanation for why he's there. It's because they needed an English-speaking right. actor in the lead. That is the only... Reason right. they needed someone, but they've come and that's, up with that's not uncommon. That, but that's true of other films for him and for other directors. And you come up with a reason for them to be there. Yeah. Not he's been working as a police officer in Italy for all these years, and he just happens to like only speak Italian when he has to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it just it, it doesn't. And also like there's a lot of other characters in the film who are there's just not much Italian in the film at all. No, there really is. And I guess that's to sell it to Americans, but it just feels unnatural. It feels weird. It doesn't make sense. And for me, not only does the detective not make sense, but yellow doesn't make sense because he just mutters to himself in English the whole movie. And it's very weird. I do want to take a brief aside and say, uh, and ask Doug, have you seen 1993's Trauma? Yeah, I have seen Trauma, yeah. Is that good or bad? I like it, but it's also, it feels like the beginning of the end to a certain extent. In that it's not terrific. It has some really great kills in it. Right. uh, And it feels like a, it feels like Argento's attempt to make something that would appeal to U.S. audiences, which is not something that I always felt in his work. And I felt more and more of that going forward. And this, it's so funny, this movie feels like that maybe more than any other Argento film, which is exactly what people who like his work, that's exactly what they didn't want here. They wanted him to be as Italian as possible, as kind of, and not, again, not to imitate himself, but like, go on wild flourishes, forget about logic, go out there and do something crazy. And... He didn't. He made like a by the book like police procedural that just happened to have a bizarre killer in it. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's let's get back to this. Let's talk a little bit about uh we've mentioned Adrian Brody. I just want to be clear. It's not just that he's a New York cop, which is just not logical. His performance is the definition of stiff. He does not seem to be emoting as the police officer at all. And then as the killer, it's the other direction. It's so ridiculous. But not in a way that's fun. I, I I guess that's the thing here, right, Doug? Is that a movie that is this weird could be fun, and somehow this film never touches. It never even looks in fun's direction. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I, I also this 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 is gonna make me sound like I I'm just not. <laughs> this is gonna make me sound weird, Liam. He wasn't yellow enough for me as the villain. No, like, I, that's totally fair. That's a hundred percent fair. Like he he should have been. I know that this isn't how Jaundice works, but they should have made the guy like like the dude from Sin City. He should have been bright, 
fucking yellow. So he couldn't even show his face in public. There's a part later in the movie where uh, he's trying to escape on a, on a plane. He's, he's using Linda's character, who is a stewardess, to get him onto a plane. And she's like, they're going to notice you right away. So he starts putting on makeup so he'll look more normal. That would have been so much more effective if his normal skin wasn't that strange looking. I mean, it was strange looking because his face is covered yeah. in makeup. But, but like he's, he should have been so yellow that that is kind of like the defining element of the movie. But it's like they told them to tone down anything interesting. <laughs> no, yeah, it's... You know, there are choices in the performance, the way Adrian Brody is mumbling to himself or whatever, whatever. There's parts that are choices. Choices are being made, but they're not interesting enough to suck you into what's going on. Uh, But all that, I I got distracted by how weird Yellow is, and so we can come back to Yellow. Let's talk (laughs) about the other performances. Surely, though Adrian Brody seems to almost be sleeping through one of his performances, uh, there's got to be someone else who's selling this movie uh, talk to me about the other performances in the film i mean what is there to talk about like you could tell that this has been designed for argento's sensibility because the idea is that yellow the 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 killer is killing beautiful women and right. uh w- one of them is a model another interest of uh of argento's and you know and so you think you would have all of these great sequences involving these beautiful models and uh, and all the kind of the the stylized fashionista type stuff around that. Don't get any of that. All you see is one backstage scene. Even though you know you feel like this would be going all the way back to Blood and Black Lace, you could do kind of like a visual tributes to all of the incredible colors in that film. There's nothing. It's all there's no stylized element. You do get a little bit of the Argento floating camera uh, every once in a while, and it just reminds you. It, if anything, it just reminds you that this movie should be so much better. But yeah, getting back to the performances, Emmanuel Cener as uh, Linda, she's awful. She is fucking terrible in this movie. And who else is there to even talk about? What other performance is there that we could talk about? Adrian Brody plays Yellow. He becomes a more important character later in the film when he starts actually interacting with Linda. Uh, if anything, he becomes a little more interesting then because... You start to think about, it's like, what is his motivation? He's ugly, so he wants to destroy beautiful things. And that's it. Like, there's nothing else about him at all. We just know that he he was ugly, and he hates beautiful people. Um, but I'm trying, I'm struggling to think of a sequence where they interact with anyone that would be considered a performance. The only other person of note is Celine, the sister of Linda, who spends the entire movie getting tortured and then ends up locked in a, a trunk of a car. She's pretty good at screaming. That's about it. I mean, That's about all I got. I mean, look, I'm not taking it away from her. That's a hard thing to do in and of yeah. itself. Yeah. It's it's just like, who gives a fuck about that? No, there's just nothing. There's, <laughs> It's, again, It's it doesn't feel like anyone showed up for this movie. <laughs> it feels like everyone was, like, just not very present for what was happening. But, like, that's actually kind of strange What now that I, I'm actually thinking about it. Yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't they at least have gone to visit someone who's, like, a weird character who you can kind of remember? member as like you know someone who has some kind of or boring because when we do get more victims uh we had the the two japanese girls at the beginning and one of them survives long enough to tell us that uh that 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 the character is yellow i mean so so just just to let people who are listening know adrian brody plays the villain his character is named flavio volpe that's the giallo that's the yellow character but it doesn't really matter he's just the villain in the film but there's no interactions between people that is that are of note at all outside of adrian brody emmanuel saner and they're both absolutely fucking terrible i think that so reading around on letterbox there's a number of people who 
either positively or negatively make some sort of meta connection between this and his career and, and maybe see some sort of symbolism in the character being yellow and all that sort of stuff. Um, my feeling, Doug, I was going to ask you to theorize about that. My feeling is that the movie isn't interesting enough for me to care. So I kind of want to skip that altogether. Is that how you feel? No, I don't. I don't want to skip it because I never heard of that. And I would love to have, if there was some meaning in here, it wouldn't necessarily justify how bad it is, but at least it would explain away some of the decisions. It would give something. Yeah, it would give context to something. So why is the fucking bad guy yellow? I mean, I know why he is in the context of the movie. He has jaundice. But what meaning could it have? I mean, look, I get the history of Gialli. I understand that you know the, the, the concepts that are kind of entrenched in the genre came from yellow-covered paperbacks of these lurid thrillers, once again. Uh, but, but what the fuck does that... Why does the guy have to have yellow skin? <laughs> it doesn't... I just don't think it's there. I, I, I don't think there's enough thought in the film for me to buy into any sort of meta reading. Uh, and, it, and it certainly none of that does anything to help with this ending. So, you know, let's just wrap this up with this last <laughs> point, Doug. How moved were you by this really gut-wrenching ending where you just didn't know what was going to happen? You know, it's it really a, a really classic move of ambiguous sort of tension-building cinema. Linda being a stewardess is something that I didn't even pay attention to till the end where she was like, oh, yes, I'm a stewardess. I'm going to help you, murderer, get on a plane to get away from safe to safety in exchange for you telling me where you have hid my sister who is still alive. So that is the crux of the ending of the movie. Then Enzo just fucking kills Yellow, so it doesn't matter. And then she's like, but you got to find my sister. It's my only, only way to find my sister. He's like, I know where she is. And then they go to the place where he thinks that she is and she's not there. Instead, she is in the trunk of a car in a parking garage. And the movie ends with this great, oh, beautifully filmed <laughs> scene where, you know, you're supposed to be so sympathetic to this character that's in the trunk of a car, as you would be. But she's in a parking garage and she's making all this noise, a lot of fucking noise, by the way, in a quiet parking garage. And a security guard can hear something going on, but he keeps getting distracted and someone's calling him on the phone. And then he eventually walks away and you're like, oh my God, maybe she'll never be found. Except of course she will. It's a parking garage. Eventually she's going to hear somebody walk by, make a lot of noise, and someone's going to be like, oh my God, this car that's rocking because someone's kicking the goddamn side of it has someone in the trunk of the car. And I mean, it's... I understand that we're supposed to be left with an uncertainty about the whole thing. Oh, maybe Giallo got the last laugh. He left her in the trunk of a car. He murdered a bunch of people. She actually has a pretty good chance of being found. To me, it's it's about as as happy an ending. But it's uh, you're not supposed to feel like it's a happy ending. You're supposed to feel like, oh, uh, he's really left us hanging a little bit here. And what I felt as the credits rolled was, fuck this movie. Fuck fuck the thought that this could be anything but a disappointing ending. I agree with you. I I actually didn't read it quite that way. I kind of read it more like a like a positive ending, honestly, uh, in that, like, someone was going to find her, if only for the uh, uh, pool of blood beneath the car, that someone yeah. would notice that. I, I don't know, because that's how it ends, literally, is a shot of a pool of blood beneath the car. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe it's like she's going to bleed out before someone finds her. I don't know. Right. There's no, there's for me, there's no tension in it. It's not interesting. It doesn't matter. Whether he meant it as haunting or or positive, it doesn't matter. I kind of get the feeling that 
the more important aspect is that uh, Adrian Brody's character is useless. You know, like the most effective thing he seems to have ever done was murder the guy who murdered his mom. And everything he's done since seems to have been not so great. Like he doesn't help anyone. He doesn't save anybody. He, he, you know, he kills a weirdo. That's, that's his accomplishment in the film. He killed a weirdo. Good, good, good for you, buddy. Um, but there's, there's really, it's just, it's just not clear that he could save anyone. Uh, we don't really see throughout the movie. I, I mean, honestly, we don't see any evidence that he's good at his job at all. So when the movie ended, I just thought, I guess he sucks. I don't know. Like, it, there's just not much <laughs> to take from this, from that. So I don't know. I, I, I don't, if it was meant to be menacing, it utterly fell short for me. But that's how I felt about the whole movie. It, it is. It is the lightest, most uninteresting version of this. I'd rather watch a cheap slasher from the 80s than this movie. Um, and, you know, whatever. Liam, Le- I just wanted to say before we finish up here, which is I unfortunately watched the Korean film I Saw the Devil oh, no, the day yeah. before watching Giallo. And there are elements that are similar between those two films. And I actually have a lot of problems with I Saw the Devil, but uh, I don't think it's a perfect movie in any way. But what it is is extremely stylish, extremely well-paced, and extremely engaging in a way that this movie isn't. And then afterwards, I was after I, fi- I finished watching Giallo, I, I was like, you know what? It's a little unfair because... I saw the devil seem to have all these resources and all this kind of slick production. Maybe Argento was working with such a low budget that what was he supposed to do? He's just doing what he could. (laughs) Jello literally cost three times what I saw the devil did. I mean, it it had a much larger budget than, and, and so the resources were there. What's the excuse for this movie being so terrible? It shouldn't at least be an interesting failure. It's not even that. There's nothing interesting. There's nothing stylish. There's nothing engaging. It is as much of a dud of a fucking movie as I can even think of. It really is just just a huge, huge bomb. (laughs) Well, let's take a break, come back, and hopefully we'll have better things to say about your movie. Because this felt... Like, not fun to watch and not fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Six friends are captured and tortured by a murderous family after giving a ride home to a desperate stranger. It's 2009's Macabre, directed by the Mo Brothers. As mentioned earlier, that's Kimo Stambol and Timo Chianto, the directors of Killers, Headshot, and Timo would be the director of The Night Comes For Us, but continue to work with Kimo. They're called the Mo Brothers because one is Kimo, one is Timo. They're the Mo Brothers. Uh, the two of them also wrote the film. Um... This film was based on a short film that the pair had worked on in 2007 called Dara. Uh, And it's not probably a big surprise. There's cannibalism at the center of this. That's kind of the crux of the Dara short film. Uh, This film stars a lot of actors, unfortunately, that I'm not particularly familiar with from Indonesia because this is an Indonesian slasher film. It does have Julia Stell, who uh, you might be familiar with, as Ladia, uh, as well as Imelda Terin as Maya. Um, Again, actors who, who have gone on to significant success elsewhere but not would that would not be uh, directly familiar with 
to me. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to familiarize myself with this film, Macabre, because I'm not as familiar with the Indonesian film industry as I would like to be outside of kind of the big mainstream action successes of the Raid films from Gareth Edwards and, of course, the work from Timo himself, uh, including, as I, as I have continued to harp on, The Night Comes for Us. Hey, if you haven't seen that movie, go out of your way to watch it. I believe it's still on Netflix. Uh, Liam, this is basically a slasher pastiche riff on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We have a group of people who, in an attempt to help somebody, in this case a stranger that uh, has said that they've just been robbed, they're leaving a bar, they're heading to an airport, they see this person in need, they bring her to her home, they are invited in for dinner, and that's when the nightmare begins. And that nightmare is extremely bloody. In fact, uh, even I was not prepared for the level of violence that was in this movie. And I'm coming at this from someone who is a fan of French extremism, is a fan of films that are often referred to as torture porn. Uh, this movie literally bathes itself in blood. There are parts in the final 20 minutes where characters are slipping around on the blood on the floor, but uh, some people just don't get off on violence. They want a little bit more out of their movies. Are you one of those people, Liam? What did you think of 2009's Macabre? It's difficult because the nature of this show, Doug, is that we compare films. Right. right. So because we just finished talking about Giallo, I want to say positive things about Macabre. <laughs> because compared to Giallo, this is a much more competent film. It, it knows what it's doing, and it executes on what it's doing. You know, it, it gives you what it, it is about, and it doesn't miss the mark, except for a few places here and there. That being said, this is not a movie for me. I right. found it mostly boring. Um, I don't care. I like violence. It's fun. Um, maybe that's a weird thing to say. You know, I, I, I ran into this recently. There's a number of folks who perhaps aren't as used to violence as just the pure reason for entertainment who have been complaining that uh, James Gunn's uh, The Suicide Squad is maybe just a little too sadistic for its own good. And then I watched it and thought, it's average. What are we talking about here? Um, but because I'm used to this. But I, also, I mean, for a superhero film, it is excessive in terms of its violence. But sure. I mean, I didn't hear that much complaint about Deadpool, which also had quite a bit of violence in it. I agree. Um, I think I think the attitude that some of the violence that should be tragic is kind of funny is yeah. maybe uh, where the concern comes from. But again, th- that's what you get into with a movie like this. At what point does the excessive gore make the movie less scary or upsetting or whatever the sort of uh, more negative aspect of horror is? And and when does it get to be like, this is silly, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, this movie spills over into silly pretty quickly, so much so that the highlight of the film is, one could argue, the one comedic aspect of the film, the police. Yeah. At a certain point, sort of mid uh, things are fucked up. The police show up and immediately are comedic, right? These are not your crack detectives. This is a group of, honestly, uh, they seem like a group of, of jerk offs. Really, like I thought just, they were musicians at first because yeah, I could exactly. not. But and, and honestly, this this does seem like a consistent thing in, in Indonesian films that I've seen, where the police are not necessarily portrayed as the most competent people in the world. No, no. Uh, and and that does not change for these. There's one guy who seems pretty good at shooting. Everyone else is just there. It's not clear how they got their credentials as police officers. Because that move, that that those moments are played for some amount of humor. Not 
not entirely, but there's some humor to it. That became my favorite part of the movie because sure. the parts mm-hmm. of the movie that I found humorous otherwise, that felt inappropriate. I don't think I was supposed to think those were funny or not. It wasn't clear. Overall, I just was mostly kind of bored with it. I didn't care about the characters. I didn't like the decisions they were making. Our villains are just really good at like looking menacing and then stabbing people. Mm-hmm. There's not much to them personality-wise. And uh, you, you referenced Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but it's important to let people know here. There's also an entirely unexplained supernatural element. Part of me kind of likes that it's unexplained, but a lot of me just kind of felt like maybe a teeny bit more explanation would have made our main villain, the head of the household, the matriarch, more intimidating. Because instead, she's just, uh, I don't know, a lady with a nice haircut. I don't know why I should care about her until like the very end, at which point everything is so blood-soaked, I'm just kind of waiting for the movie to end. Um, All of that sounds super negative, The difference here between my experience of Giallo and my experience of this movie is some of my negative reaction to this movie is because I don't have a lot of uh, affection for the kind of movie this is. Sure. Uh, The the movies that borrow from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that kind of flirt with torture porn, that like really there's not a lot of plot other than the committing of violence – I don't hate those movies. They're just not my favorite. And this one, because I wasn't that impressed by specific elements of the film, I just found myself a little bit bored. It's the sort of movie that I would probably have seen at a film fest. It's not bad. I'm not going to leave, but I wouldn't necessarily rave about it later. It's just sort of pretty good. Um, and and I think if we had chosen, for example, um, The House of the Devil to stand up to this movie, I'd be I'd be ranting about how this movie sucks. That's what I would do. But like compared to Giallo, this is fucking pretty damn good, honestly. Uh, And so I want to make that clear that the 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 falling the failings of this movie are partly because the not because the movie's failing, but because this is not my cup of tea. Right. If I saw this film for the first time when I was seventeen. I would have fucking loved it, right? Like that is the kind of movie back then. Fair. I would. It would have been enough for me that it was just extremely violent. I, I don't know what that says about me, but at that time, it's not like there were that many movies that would have had this level of violence that were out there. Uh, we're talking about the late '90s, just to age myself a little there. But um, so watching it now, it doesn't feel like this unique snowflake anymore. Maybe even what it might have felt a little bit like. It wouldn't have really felt like that in 2009, actually, now that I think about it, because that was when we had already kind of cracked that nut regarding the amount of violence that you could put in a movie and still get an R rating. Where I, it was just... I would say in 2009, this was peak. In my yeah. mind, of the independent horror films I saw in 2009, this is the proto example of that. This is like a perfect example of what was becoming a trend in independent horror around it felt like it felt like that was like a transition pivot point where people then started to go to throwback styled horror movies instead movies that are a little bit more you know john carpenter influence and things like that that maybe didn't have to rely on that mostly because the handcuffs were off you don't have to be told what you can put in your movie anymore i think that gave people freedom to not necessarily have to make their movies incredibly violent which isn't to say that since 2009 there haven't been a lot of extremely violent movies but just going back to the idea that this, these are filmmakers who obviously were strongly influenced by slasher movies that wanted to put out a extremely violent movie. But I'm like you, Liam. The problem with this movie is that it's not fun. 
up until the point when those police officers show up. It has all the markings, by the way, of a, of the genre that I don't particularly care for. I'm not a big slasher fan. But the idea that you set the movie up with 15 minutes of these characters interacting, so you get to know who they are, what their personality types are like. We see them at, a, at like a bar. They're interacting with people. This guy's the hothead. This is the couple. This is the pregnant woman. This is the, the kind of character at the center of the movie who's feeling conflicted about her life and where she's going to be going forward in the future. She has a complicated relationship with her brother. We get all of that laid out in the first 10, 15 minutes. Then we meet this character who is going to bring them to the location where the the slashering <laughs> the slashing will begin where all the violence will occur and from that point it is like a waking nightmare and i do think that there are some really effective suspenseful scenes particularly the parts where the three characters are all tied up and they're hearing their friend be butchered in the next room and knowing that they're next that that it's, it's going to be them uh that 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 are going to be meeting the same fate it's a terrifying horrific idea but it's just that we're we're too familiar with the tropes of this genre we know that we're not just going to watch someone get butchered like that and then they're going to they're not going to bring out then a second person and just butcher them again because how it would be very repetitive and boring to watch in a movie so we know that as soon as the woman gets put on the table that she is in some way going to get out of that circumstance it's one of the unfortunate things about being very familiar with this genre is that it kind of hurts suspense when you're watching these tropes play out i do say that this is a movie that embraces tropes on a level beyond a lot of horror movies that I've been watching in recent memory. It seems like there's five times in this movie where the lead character, the lead uh, woman who uh, was working at the restaurant at the beginning, where she is being held down by a man and you know there's attempted sexual assaults in this but in some way being like restrained and she reaches out and grabs something and then stabs the person i think it happens five times in this movie and that feels a little cheap right and that's the thing that i disliked most about macabre is that characters kept doing things that didn't make any sense the characters would have a weapon in their hands and just drop it characters would escape like get away from the house and instead of running away just as fast as they could they would go back to the house they would try to do things that that put them in harm's way from people who obviously if they were not supernatural which we found out that they are in some way the supernatural by the way for those who haven't picked up on it they're cannibals they eat human flesh somehow they don't age because of that i don't know if that also aids in their strength or whatever but apparently you can live 100 years if you eat human flesh take that knowledge for what you what you will but the fact is they know that they're outpowered by these people there's weapons all over this house why don't they just get away? They had opportunities to get away. It made me feel less sympathetic for the characters at the core. I also don't like the idea that apparently they kill a lot of babies in this place. We see a, like a baby skull and a uh, uh, one in a jar. I actually don't really understand what the baby aspect of this movie is. Did I miss something here? Why are they so interested in the baby in this? I think maybe the baby... I think they eat all the people, but something they do with the babies is where they get... I think the eating the people is for funsies. The right. babies are why they're living forever, but they never explain it. Yeah, which, I mean, again, it's fine. The, it, it, you, you get the crux of it. It's just, I, I was expecting a little bit more of an info dump at some point. There's a part where a one of the police officers uh, finds a... I guess they just like watching... Oh, like a, a, a um, films of of their own experiences, but this is a film that has been put together by some sort of like a satanic cult or or something along those lines, which shows 
these people, these kids who then are now uh, ageless adults, uh, killing somebody as children. So apparently this is something they've been doing for a long time. It's an old black and white film that he watches. And by the way, would have made for great evidence. But again, these cops are pretty incompetent. Um, Yeah, so the the decision making in this is the thing I found most frustrating. That said, overall, I still had a good time with it simply because it all it has on its side outside of some stylish filmmaking is the excessiveness of what's going on. And it goes far enough in that direction that I felt satisfied by it. You know, by the time that you're having chainsaw fights in the final 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, this has gotten to a fever pitch. Unfortunately, it then does the thing where, oh, you think a character is dead and then they come back and it seems like every bad guy character gets that once where everyone's like oh, he's dead and then then you have to fight him again you think by the, the third time that happens you'd be like maybe i should just chop their goddamn head off to make sure that doesn't occur but then again i think we've been saying that in movies for 40 years at this point it's probably not going to change um liam did you have any issues like i did with the the characters making decisions in the movie was there anything that was particularly baffling in terms of the plot i mean yeah i Yes, I generally felt like no one was acting particularly logically in the film and that there were a number of moments where characters could have just stabbed someone and we could have moved on with our lives a little bit. Um, But it didn't feel to me, maybe I'm wrong, but it didn't feel to me like the narrative was the point. Everything was just a set piece for more gore and blood uh, and possibly some screaming and running. (laughs) <laughs> but but I didn't find myself too invested in what was happening from like a, okay, well, why are they doing that now point of view? From the moment that they all just sit down to dinner at this weirdo's house and then pass out, it all just feels like nothing matters, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I, – I, it matters in the sense of who is going to survive, but I feel like that's kind of tel- t- uh, telegraphed from the beginning as well. Um, and again, this is a genre that uh, is not my favorite, though, though, oddly enough, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which this borrows from, is one of my favorite movies and is a movie that I, I think is a masterpiece. Thankfully, I wasn't thinking about it so much while watching it that I was continually comparing it to it. And it was probably, probably smart not to borrow a lot of visual elements from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But, you know, once the chainsaws are there, it's hard not to think about. This, also, this movie also suffers from some iffy effects, particularly a fire sequence near the end of the film, uh, which, I mean, is pulled off probably as well as they possibly could with the budget. But And it does have a nice full body burn, which you don't see in a lot of these movies, but uh, it does have some iffy fire stuff. There's some iffy gun play uh, using digital effects that doesn't look that great. And then that's usually followed by a lot of digital smoke, which looks really bad in the movie. I'm trying to give it um, a little bit of slack because this is not a movie that had the budget or slick production values that would have afforded, say, Dario Argento in 2009's Giallo. So it's a movie with low-budget filmmakers making a low-budget slasher movie. I think you have to look at it in that context. Um, and and as that, I, can, I see it as a success, though, like yourself, it doesn't seem like the kind of movie I, I had so much fun with that I'm just going to go, you know, let's put on Macabre, let's watch it, let's have a good time. It's not that kind of movie for me. It does kind of feel like a throwback to... A kind of movie I would have enjoyed when I was a teenager, except with the violence kicked up like 10 notches. I think anyone who is familiar with later 2000s horror, especially of the independent or international variety, will see a lot here that's familiar. I I swear to God I saw a movie at the Philadelphia Film Fest that was, uh, I think, from Mexico, but it was at least in Spanish, that had almost the same plot as this movie. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I just feel like this... 
idea of I'm trapped somewhere and now I'm getting chopped to bits just became a thing. And while I think that this movie deserves a ton of respect because it's able to accomplish a good amount in the effects realm without a big budget, you know what I mean? And I think that that is super cool. It's just not interesting to me. You know what I mean? Like it's, I respect anyone who's uh, home recording and able to pull something off with home recording. But if it's your new ska band, it's just not for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and that's how I feel about this is that like, there was a time in my life where I just think I would have been like, oh, gory, cool. But watching it now, I, I, I wasn't that pulled in. And, you know, it, it's going to be easy to choose this over Giallo. But, uh, but I don't think I would recommend this at all, even as a fan of their some of their other movies. You know, if someone said, hey, I'm digging back into their stuff, what do you think? Should I revisit this one? I, I think I would say, unless you really want just a lot of blood, I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what recommends this movie for me personally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I definitely actually like it a, a little bit more than you. And I do think that there's enough hints of the talent of the Mo Brothers at the core of this that you can see where like there's a direct throw line between this and the night comes for us which is another blood soaked movie in a lot of ways but i can also see that it's not it wouldn't be if this isn't something that directly appeals to my sensibilities in the year 2021 but you did mention earlier by the way liam you said torture porn so did i i know that there's a lot of people who wrinkle at that label on the movies that were coming out you know in the mid 2000s um and i mentioned french extremism which is a there was a series of films, including uh, things like Inside and High Tension from that time period, which were extremely violent from France. Did you like any of those movies that came out at that time period? I, I, well, I shouldn't say I love. There are a number of the French extreme movies that I really like, although talk about a contested genre. Yeah, no that's kidding. A, that's another one where no one can agree, like, does this count? Does that count? You know what I mean? So... Uh, I you know asterisks on that, but uh, going on what most people consider, yeah, I like it a lot. There's a few I really love. There's a few that I kind of like. Um, I I think when they go more just emotionally upsetting than just blood, I tend to like them. But you know, I I know that I might be alone in that. Uh, when it comes to what people have called torture porn, I can't name a single one that I like. In fact, I I feel like the title is offensive in the sense of like um all you're doing is trying to shame a genre because you don't like it it's not a term that comes out of a sense of respect right absolutely so so i don't like that on the other hand it accurately describes a bunch of movies i think are bad (laughs) so it's hard for me because like chances are if you would use that term for a movie i won't like it as far as i can tell but then again i do think as with any negative term probably positive too but certainly negative it started to be applied everywhere any movie with blood became oh it's just more torture porn and i'm like well that's not real that's not a real thing for me there's a genre of film where it feels to me like there was more attention paid to how we were going to hurt a character than any other aspect of the plot and that's just not that interesting for me because this i'm just not that attracted to special effects anymore unless we're talking about going a whole other direction with the tokyo gore genre you know the japanese films once we're getting into full giant latex explosions (laughs) then that's fun enough for me that i'm back in i'm back invested in because we've given up the pretext uh or the i don't even want to say pretext i want to say the uh pretense 
I don't know sure. the word I'm looking. I'm not sure the word I'm looking for. Apologies, y'all, that I'm not always eloquent. But the 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 pretending that something is real. What separates these Japanese or or other genre films that take this blood to another level is it's not about reality anymore. It's like uh, a caricature. It's fun. It's over the top. It's the use of violence for reality's sake without other plot elements that I tend to just be like, I'm kind of bored. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Now, if it serves a plot that then is also emotionally upsetting, then I'm back in entirely. It's it's the, the script has to be there for me to be into that level of extreme violence. If it's just about the extreme violence, I know it's fake, so I don't care. I want to get your thoughts before we finish up here on two topics related to what you were just talking about. Sure. First is, I don't want to talk about the hostile movies. I don't have a lot of interest in them, but there are a lot of people who like the Saw films, and that is one of the uh, kind of common examples of what are referred to as torture porn. They The violence is the point to a certain extent of those films, but there is also an overarching plot that people got more and more, uh, in, you know, uh, engaged in there's more revealed about it as the films go along i think it's some way in some ways it's created as the films are made in fact almost entirely but i like a lot of those films eh, maybe a lot's a bit of exaggeration but i you know i like more than one let's say what are your thoughts on the saw film so i i'm more ignorant than i am knowledgeable and, and i say that because i know that there's been almost a cottage industry of saw film experts that there are mm-hmm. people who've really studied these things and gotten very deep on them. In fact, a friend of the show lit Crick guy from England just did a video series. I don't know if it was a video series. It might be an episode of uh, horror Vanguard where they really dove into the saw films and, and, and talked about them. I don't even know if he's a fan. He just sort of analyzed it very <laughs> deeply. Um, for me, I've only seen a few. I saw the first one when it came out. I've rewatched it since. I still think there's a lot, that's interesting there. You know, it's just, a, I think, an interesting movie, and I don't think reducing it to the violence is helpful. There's other psychological stuff going on. It just seems as the movies go forward that they can't recreate the novelty of the first film, and so inevitably you end up comparing it to other movies where violence is the point because why are we still here? What is still... I'm moved at least the first time I saw it, by that mystery of the first movie. I want to understand what's going on. By the time we get to like the third one, I'm just not as invested, you know? But <laughs> it's, I funny, also... it's, it's funny to hear you say that because I like the third movie much more than the first one. Is that right? Yeah, I do. Well, again, I'm not as familiar with the series. So I, part of my thing is I don't want to talk too deeply about it. It's just like I saw the first one. I'm pretty sure I've seen the second one. I think I've seen the third one, but I don't even know for sure. And then after that, I haven't tried to really watch them. Later. The other one topic I want to get your take on is where, in the minds of a lot of people, including myself, French extremity and torture porn meet, which is Martyrs, a uh, very kind of um, infamous film at this point. I'm not talking about the 2015 remake. I'm talking about the original. Have you seen sure. Martyrs? I have. Yeah. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? To me, that is sort of it sort of fits into what you say you'd like, which is violence in support of a more heady idea. I find the idea that people call that torture porn stupid. Hmm. The, the uh, so let's take how, again. Let's first admit that the the title torture porn is stupid in and of itself. But if we're gonna say that hostile and martyrs are similar films then whoever's doing that analysis is not thinking very clearly 
because there's, in my mind, almost nothing going on in Hostel. There's just nothing there. Whereas if I was going to criticize Martyrs for anything, there's too much going on. There's a lot, as much as there is just violence and gore and craziness, there's a lot of world building and subtext going on in that movie. There's a lot of thought about... uh, 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 religion and culture and I would even argue gender going on in that film. I don't know that that means it's a very smart film. Uh, just because you pull a lot of ideas into your movie doesn't necessarily mean you handle them very well. Sure. Uh, but I do have affection for that movie. Uh, I think because there's so much going on, I think some people see a lot of depth to Martyrs that maybe isn't there. But mm-hmm. I would at least say there is thought. I'm not convinced that a movie like Hostel or a movie uh, that is trying to borrow from Hostel has a lot of thought behind it. And there might be examples that would prove me wrong on that, but at least in my experience, the, the, those movies are trying to avoid the kind of, uh, the kind of second level analysis that I think martyrs is hungry for. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like that era, and there are some movies that I really like in that era of horror films, which were taking things to the extreme. I do feel like we kind of had to get through that era to get kind of past it so we could feel like we 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 were plumbing those depths that we were going to those extremes so then people could feel more of a license to to not to to do what you said to combine those with more interesting ideas i'm not a fan of the hostile films but i do like things like the collector films and and other movies from that time period which kind of bathe themselves in violence going back and finishing off macabre i do feel like it's it feels very much of that era it feels very much of that international horror that's trying to gain some sort of steam in the U.S. by really like leaning on those levels of violence, but it's not a clever movie. And I don't think it necessarily wants to be a clever movie. I think it just wants to be a nightmare full of, of these set pieces that are scary again and again. But I do think it's kind of, there's a double-edged sword to that, which is that this is a movie that is meant to appeal to massive fans of this genre, but no one will be more frustrated with this movie than fans of the genre that recognize all of these tropes playing out and seeing these characters make ridiculous decisions. I don't think it's a bad movie. I actually think it's pretty good for the genre. It just happens to be a genre that has a lot of terrible movies in it. I hear you. It's it's not for me, uh, but I didn't think it was was really bad. I I just I think also it doesn't help that I definitely prefer some of at least uh in one of the brothers case I prefer some of his other movies. Um and so I'm I'm not just, you know, I I'm thinking about some of the other things he's done and being like, well, I just don't think it compares to that, you know, which is probably unfair to make that comparison. It is unfair, but I guess I can see where you're coming from. But I mean, that does bring us to the end of this episode of Cinema Fantastica. Liam we have to come up with who won. Now, you got a gun to your head. I've tied you to a chair. I've wrapped ropes around you that you could easily slip out of. <laughs> but And you got to watch one of these movies again. Are you going to watch Macabre or are you watching Giallo? Macabre. Easy. Easy. <laughs> yeah, easy I, decision. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd rather not watch either of them again if I could help it. But um, I think Macabre, it's just, it's just not for me. But it wasn't painful. It didn't hurt. Giallo is, is just a bad, bad movie. Well, Liam, I guess all we can say here is uh, I'm the winner. I win. Yep. <laughs> I'm the god, me, uh, for for this episode of Cinema Fantastica. Fright Fest 2009 had a lot of very interesting films that played at it. These are not two of the best movies that played, but they are interesting for various different reasons. I do think that both of us at some point are going to revisit or visit, I should say, a, another 
later era Dario Argento film. And maybe, you know what, I'm hoping that you're going to watch some of those and you're going to come away from it thinking, you know what, these are these are good. There's something really to recommend I mean, some Doug, of Doug, I'm going to watch The Stendhal Syndrome tonight. Great. That one <laughs> that one has more to recommend it than every other one that we've been talking about in this episode. <laughs> so th- there's that as well. I actually would love to hear your take on Mother of Tears, a film that some people really seem to enjoy, and a movie that when I finished it, the final like three minutes of it, I was like audibly going, ugh, at the screen. I was hating it so good. <laughs> fucking much and i can't even remember why i hated it so much i just remember thinking that the ending of that movie was just awful can't so wait <laughs> so hopefully you'll get to experience that at some point but for now all i want to say is that i win macabre is the better film uh and that is all we have to say about fright fest from the year 2009 liam if people want to check out more episodes of cinema fantastica or other cinema smorgasbord podcasts or other podcasts that you're involved in what's the best way for them to do so well, I think they can find our latest episodes at cinepunks.com as well as mm-hmm. our Fantasia Fest uh, coverage. I just published an article. I got another one coming out. Um, as well as uh, Nick Spachek, who a lot of people know, and uh, Brian Christopher. are We're all covering Fantasia Fest right about now. So people should go check out our coverage at cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. They can also find not just our latest episodes, but the latest episodes of Twitch of the Death Nerve or Cinepunks or Horror Business or uh, the Tomb of Ideas or a whole family of podcasts. They should go check that out as well. Of course, they can dive into our archive and the variety of topics we cover over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Um, they can also find uh, Cinema Smorgasbord on social media, specifically on Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S M O R G. And of course, they can find Cinepunks on social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Cinepunks, C I N E P U N X. You can, of course, also find Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And you can find me on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. As Liam mentioned, you can find all of our various podcasts under the Cinema Smorgasbord name over at cinemasmorgasbord.com. Why don't you leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast? Every one helps. Tell your friends about Cinema Smorgasbord. Hey, if you have a theme that we should be covering on a Cinema Smorgasbord podcast. Please tell us. I want something crazy. Yeah, I'd love to hear them. I have an idea. Honestly, you want to pitch an idea to us that there's there's possibilities there as well. Why don't you contact us through the Cinema Smorgasbord website or uh, one of our various locations on social media. But for now, Liam, we need to take another break. We're going to be back with another genre festival from around the world very soon. But for now, we need to say goodnight. Night-night. La 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 la